Hey, I just want you guys to know, I've not been here long, but I have just fallen in love with you guys. This, I, I've never been a part of a congregation that loves like y'all love and are, are so just caring. And just thank you guys so much for, for serving the community and serving the body. And I mean, you guys serve me and um, just by the way you love and pray for me. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, just want to remind you on through Easter, we're going to have our, our prayer services on Monday. If you've not participated in that, or if you can't fast, don't worry about it. Come anyway. If you come late, don't worry about it. Come anyway. We start at 6.15, and we're over by 7.15, and I'll leave the, the church open as long as you need to pray, but I get that a lot of people, y'all been out since 5, y- y'all are ready to get home, so we, 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 we will respect your time if you come. Also, I have kids. I have a kid, and um, she gets the wiggles. And her wiggles don't bother anybody else but us, the parents. Your kids' wiggles don't bother me, but if you feel like it's distracting you and it's just making you crazy, there is uh, an overflow room out here to the left or just the foyer. You're free to take them out there and let them run around. It's not a big deal. But again, we're not saying your kids bother us. It's if, if you're like, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Um, feel feel free to to take them out. You're, y'all aren't distracting anybody. So let's pray, and we're going to jump right into it. Okay, God, thank you for loving us. Thank you that your love is an eternal love. Your love is an ancient love. We understand that we deserve hell, God, and we see your grace, and we are just beside ourselves thankful. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that's in your Word this morning that you would, you would grow us, but not just that, God. I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, and I'm sure there is, God, that you would just grab a hold of their heart and you would, you would show them your love and that they would fall deeply in love with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Galatians 3.15, and we're continuing our series, Captivated captivated by the the love and grace of Jesus. And we're going to approach this one a little bit differently this morning. So God in in the Bible, he's unfolding covenants that he's made throughout the ages. And maybe covenant, we've talked about these words a lot, and it's one of those things that's like, I know that's a churchy thing, but what are we talking about? This morning, I, I hope we answer that. And God's covenants... Was, it was never God's reaction to sin. That's what it kind of seems like. God's not being reactionary. Instead, he's unveiling his special love and care for humanity through each of the different covenants. Today, we're going to walk through, the, uh, through all the covenants that God's made in Scripture. You're like, oh, that's going to be a lot. There's just six. It's okay. Calm down. We're, it's not, not too many. Um, and what we're going to see is God makes all these I will statements in the covenants. And in the covenants, he makes the I will statements, but you're going to find that he doesn't make you should statements. Like God is the one who upholds the covenant. God's covenants are dependent on God, not on our ability. So, and we're going to see that it's always his I wills to show his righteousness and that salvation comes through him by faith alone, not through 
works. So God says that I will when we start adding you shoulds. That's what we've called all the way through this series so far, uh, a Jesus plus gospel to, to salvation. As soon as you add a you should to salvation, to, to, to be saved, that, that's a Jesus plus gospel. We're, we're changing when we do that, the free grace gospel message that God is offering us. This morning's sermon, is, it's a continuation on the last two weeks, but we're going to approach it like I told you differently. Normally, we take a microscope and we zoom in real deep. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a telescope view and we're going to look out so that, we can, so that we can see the overall big picture of the Bible and how all these things fit together and how Galatians and what Paul's telling them is nothing new, but we're going to see how it's how it's situated in the whole. So we're going to explore the covenants and the law that we've talked so much about the last couple months to see how it fits as a whole. And what we're going to be doing, it's called biblical theology. We're going to build a biblical theology of the covenants. And also it shows us how Paul's argument flows throughout the book. So growing up, I don't know about you, but I saw the Bible as a whole lot of disjointed stories and I had no idea how they connected. Do, do y'all feel that, right? Especially when you read the Old Testament. How do all these things connect? And I didn't see the Bible as anything more than a bunch of moral lessons of how God wanted me to be a better person. And that's, that's not the point. I mean, get it, I, I get it that Jesus was the Savior. I, I remember knowing that. But I had no idea. I did not understand how Jesus had anything to do with the book of Genesis or anything in the Old Testament. So one day reading my Bible, thinking about the covenants, it's like all the scales fell off my eyes and I could see clearly God's plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. I want you to understand, it's like an arrow shooting straight through. And when you see it, you see it. God has one intention from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And when I saw it, my mind was blown and I started, as I turned every page in the book of Genesis, I saw... I, I call it the seed, the seed, of, the seed of promise. I saw Jesus imprinted on every page, and you can too. I used to see the Bible like, you know, I love this guy here. There's no ambient light because we don't have street lights. You walk outside at night, and the sky is beautiful. You see all these stars. And um, have, have you ever, like, wondered, how, how, how do people see the images? How do they know where all the things were at? Well, I, that's what I felt like looking at the Bible. Uh, it, it was like looking at a constellation of stars, like, I know I'm supposed to see something, but what? And when, we, when, when God opens your eyes to this, when you see through the lens of the covenant, it's like all those stars are going to come together and make a straight line pointing through the garden, through the Red Sea, to the cross, crescendoing, we think the crescendo is the resurrection. That's not the crescendo of the Bible. The crescendo of the Bible, it happens in Revelation 21, 21, or 21, right? When every nation and every tongue and every tribe stands before the God of creation, glorifying him. And when we see the covenants, it's easy to see that trajectory that leads us to that place. So one of my passions is for believers to see the Bible as a whole and to read it as a whole. And the tool God's given us is the covenants. For many of us, 
Um, we may not know this, and it might just be because we've never been shown. We know covenants, but we don't see how they fit. I want to teach you how to interpret the Bible as I believe Jesus interpreted the Bible. There's a statement. Here's a chance for you to interpret the Bible as Jesus interpreted it. And Jesus in, in John 5.39 says this, um, that in the Bible, all things are pointing to himself. So he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. How do the scriptures bear witness to them? Through the covenants. In Luke 24, 25 through 27, Jesus is on the road of Emmaus. And so he's died, he's resurrected. There are two disciples. We don't know what two disciples. There are two disciples of Christ. They're walking down this road and they're just pondering. Like, so what about that whole Jesus thing? Like, dead, and now we've heard that he's alive. Like, what, what do we even think about this? And Jesus shows up and he rebukes them, and this is what he said to them. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Old Testament for Jesus, the Bible, all those things were pointing to him. So when we understand the covenants as signpost, we're going to see Jesus throughout the whole Bible. The covenants are the keys to seeing how God's eternal plan of salvation and how the prophets from the beginning have been pointing to Christ. So if we fail to interpret the Bible as Christ did and Paul did, we're going to walk into the same failure as the, the Galatian church and, and many other heretical churches throughout the centuries because if you don't interpret Christ as the center of all these things, what we'll do is we'll say, all right, Jesus, and then here's all the you shoulds to really be saved. Here's a Jesus plus. And Paul, what he's doing is he's pointing to Moses. He's pointing to, to all the prophets and he's showing that it's not you should statements that add to the gospel, but really it's, it's, all, it's all Jesus. When, but I, I appreciate a you should statement or a Jesus plus, right? Because let's, let's, when, we, when we are holding on to a Jesus plus or, a, or these you should statements uh, and we're adding them to the gospel, what we're really doing is saying, I desire control of my own eternal destiny, Right? I can, you, can, you, can, you can do something to prove to yourself that you're really saved. That's what you shoulds do. That's what Jesus plus does. It's putting yourself in the driver's seat instead of God. So we're, we're just constantly trying to show the world around us that we're enough. But we're not. That's the point of the Bible, Jesus is. So all this anxiety that you have around trying to be enough, just exhale, because you're not enough. Jesus is. Paul's answering the question for us this morning, does the new covenants nullify previous covenants? And by seeing by, uh, the Bible as a whole, we're going to see that the plan never changed. Sorry, that was a long introduction, but I want you to know where we're going. Like, we're, this, is, this is the direction we're heading in. So let's, let's read our passage together. Galatians 
to give a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say to his offsprings, referring to many, but to one, referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ, he's interpreting the Old Testament for us here, to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I meant. The law which came 430 years after does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So if you're a note taker, here's the first place we're going to jump. We're going to see in verses 15 through 17 that God's covenant cannot be changed. So it seems, I love what Paul does. He just, he constantly, he's anticipating objections and he's anticipating an objection from the Judaizers here. So we know he's already made the case. Abraham was saved by faith, not by circumcision, right? Even though the, the covenant of circumcision came later. And he, he's like, look, you would know this, O oh foolish Galatians, remember that was a couple of verses ago, if you understood how God's covenants even worked. So what's a covenant? A covenant was a legally binding pledge <clears throat> between two parties with a set of conditions to be upheld, or that if they were not upheld, there would be severe consequences. And with the exception of the law of Moses, all the covenants... It was God who was the only one upholding the, 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 the conditions. Wow. So let's, let's give an example about how something um, can't be changed. So on, my name's Cody Alvarez, so I thought it was kind of funny to marry my wife on Cinco de Mayo and change her last name to Alvarez. So <laughs> 10 years, or about 10 years, on May 5th, 2012, Cinco de Mayo, I covenanted with my wife. We got married. The, the, uh, it was, it was, the marriage was ratified with the sharing of the rings, right? That, that symbolizes that the covenant has been struck. And that we would be together no matter what. So over the last 10 years, we've made lots of promises. So let's assume I, I, I made her a promise and said, hey, look, this summer found $3,000 cruise to Cancun for the both of us. And if we can save up $3,000, we'll go on that cruise. I don't know if that's a good prize for it or not, but it sounds fun. Um, so we save up $3,000, we, we'll go on the cruise. So we save up the $3,000. Here we go, Cancun, here we come. About to, about, about to get, some, get some sun on me. So when we get back, we had made that previous covenant that we were going to save up, we were going to do, and we were going to go. So... Because we kept, I kept that side of that, that covenant, when we get back, I was like, all right, hey, we're no longer married. That's dumb, right? The, the new promise doesn't void the previous promise. That's what Paul's saying. These new covenants don't void the previous covenants made. So just because God has made uh, the covenant with Abraham, then he makes the covenant of law that the, the covenant with Abraham was enacted by faith. It's because the covenant of the law comes, it's not like now we need works, faith and works. No, the covenant is enacted by faith. The law is what God desires you to do. 
So let's look at verses 16 through 17, and we're going to see the promise fulfilled. So I want, to, I want you to see God, how he works his seed of promise all the way throughout the Old Testament and brings it to reality in the birth of Christ. So there are six covenants. It's not going to be super long. We're going to work through all of them real quick. You have the Edemic covenant. That's the one with Adam. The Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the New covenant. So six covenants. And each of these are a little bit different, but just because one is new and one is a little different, in no way does it void the previous ones. And you're like, well, at this point, you're being a little obnoxious saying this. Well, Paul wrote 13 letters in all, in most every one of them, he's addressing this issue on some level. So let's work through it. So there are two types of covenants, covenants of promise and covenants of works. Now, the covenant of works is if you believe you're going to be righteous because of the works, but if you look deeply, they're all actually covenants of promise. So um, the, there are three distinctions to the, the covenants of promise. The first is they're always divine. God's the one who makes them. We can't go covenant with God and make our own covenant with them. God is the one who makes them. God is the initiator of all the covenants, and the conditions of the covenants are upheld by God alone. They do not depend on what anybody else does. They are divine. They are unconditional. Secondly, the, God's covenants are also eternal. Therefore, God's covenants can never be changed or revoked. And then third, God's covenants of promise are always undeserved. God's covenants are always undeserved. God is showing unmerited favor. There's a word we like to use for that, grace, on, on a people who have done, done nothing to earn his reward. So all the covenants are, like I said, they're giant signposts pointing to what Christ is going to do. And using the covenants as a sign, it's going to create in us as a people a robust, Christocentric, Christ-centered understanding of how God is working these things out throughout the Bible. So no longer will you see the Old Testament as a bunch of random moral stories but you're going to see the story of God bringing his covenants into fulfillment. So we're going to look at the covenants chronologically and see how it was always God's desire to save by faith alone, it, looking forward to the Messiah. So let's start in the Garden of Eden. Let's look back to the story of Adam and Eve. God makes his first covenant here with men, but, you know, there was the fall now, some people don't call this one a covenant because God doesn't call it a covenant, but it's got all the pieces. So theologians call this the Edemic covenant, and it, you'll find it in Genesis 3.15. It's the first promise of Christ, and this is what it says. So God's been cursing them, and this is what he says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's talking to the serpent. God, he's handing out curses to the man, the woman, and the serpent. And in the midst of all this, we get a promise, the promise of the snake crusher. This is the first promise of Jesus in the entire Bible, that, that there's going to be one. This is a covenant that there's going to be one, a promised child who comes through the, through the lineage of this Eve who will crush the head of Satan. Jesus, his purpose of coming is to destroy that ancient serpent. You know that, right? And to say, seek and save the lost. Jesus was, was born of a virgin. The, the seed of the woman 
does not come through the lineage of Adam, but through Eve. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he was born of a virgin. Jesus was without original sin. That's, that's the topic we'll broach later, but Jesus was without original sin. He was born of Mary and the Holy Spirit. He had no earthly father but God. The, the servant struck the heel of Jesus, and Jesus was buried by being put on a cross. Or, or, or Jesus, Jesus was bruised by being put on a cross. He died, he was buried in a tomb, and three days later he rose from the grave. But Jesus was not destroyed, right? He wasn't destroyed. He rose from the dead in victory. Jesus' death reversed the curse of sin. Those who believe in the promise of Jesus have eternal life. Jesus conquered the serpent. Can, can you see by looking at this first covenant how these things are starting to work themselves out, pointing to Christ? The next one we find is uh, in Genesis 7. It's called the Noahic covenant. Now, this is a temporal one. This one says, as long as the earth exists, I will not destroy it again. But we get a picture, right? God's wrath being poured out on the earth, but there being something protecting the people from the wrath. Jesus is our protection. He's our ark. He's our protection from the wrath of God. But here's a question you need to ask yourself. Why didn't God just start over? Like he was mad enough to destroy the world. Why didn't he start over? Because if he started over, that would make him a liar. God promised Eve through her lineage, there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent. If God had destroyed Noah, God would have been a liar. We see God preserving that covenant in Genesis 7. So now we get to the big one in the book of Galatians. The, the Abrahamic covenant. This happens in Genesis 12. And you see it again in Genesis 15 and 17. God coming back and talking about these things. So let's read it real quick. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And there are three promises that come. Land, seed, and blessing. So we talked about that last week. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land. That's land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and, those, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we saw last week, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. God's blessings were ratified by Abraham's faith, not by his works. We don't even get the covenant of circumcision until chapter 17, and there's been a lot of life lived from Genesis 12 to Genesis chapter 17. The, the, the covenant with Abraham, Noah, and Adam, were they about what men would do or about what God would do? They're about what God would do. But God's covenants say, I will, and we get it messed up when we start saying, you should. None of these blessings were contingent on Abraham. Look, in, in verses 12, 1 through 3, God says, I will, over and over and over. The Abrahamic covenant is called the covenant of circumcision, but the, that's much later on in the book. He's, he has faith here in chapter 12. Paul's already destroyed this, this argument in Galatians chapter 3, but I just want you to see it again. The, the promises were land, seed, and blessing, but the promised seed is the one that brings all things to fruition. 
I hope this is helpful for you guys because when I saw this, this changed how I read the Bible. So when, when, when we read the covenants and through the lens of Christ, like imagine, like I can't see nothing when I take my glasses off, but when I put these puppies back on, through, through the lenses, I have clarity. When we see the covenants through the clarity of Christ, we, we start seeing how all think these things fit together and that we are by faith heirs of the covenant with Abraham. All, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by the offspring of Abraham, not by the offsprings, right? It, it tells us that in our passage this morning, by the offspring of Abraham, all the nations shall be blessed. And because Jesus will bless all the nations through us having faith and in, through our faith, we get to have eternal life. But it's about what he did. And none of the blessings of God were realized in the lifetime of Abraham. Do you realize that? Not a single blessing except for that he would have a son he was realized in the life of Abraham. It wasn't even like he had the 12 sons. He just had one. But through that one, God was going to preserve. That's why those, that's why those lineages that seem so boring in the front of uh, the Gospels are so important. Because it's God showing how he's keeping his end of the deal. It's how he's showing he's bringing the covenants into reality. On... on that's on their side of the cross. They believed and they were saved by faith, right? But they were living on credit. Like Ameri Americans, we live on credit, right? Money, money we, haven't, we haven't earned yet. They were looking forward for the salvation that was going to be credited to them through the Messiah. We, we get to live that Dave Ramsey life. We're living debt-free. It's already been paid by the person of Christ. So on this side of the cross... We, we don't live on credit. We, we live debt-free. Our sins have been paid off. Our passage says 430 years later, the covenant of the law came. The covenant of the Moses came. And what's really cool is if you look at Genesis chapter 17, he says your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. That none of these things took God by surprise. The covenant of the law or the covenant of Moses, it says do this, do that, do this. And if you don't, do these things, all these bad things are going to happen, and this land that I promised will slowly be taken away from you. If you don't do all the things that I've commanded, you're going to die and you're going to be cursed. We saw in Galatians 3.10, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and perform them. The covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai demanded perfection. The covenant on Mount Sinai showed us the standard, but it was never meant to be a, a way to achieve righteousness. And if you hold on to it in that way, then it's just a curse. But when you look through it through the lens of Christ, you see it as a, as a, as a, as a blessing and not a curse because we can't do it, but Christ could. If you are one that wants to cling to the law or your Jesus plus works, you're going to die under the curse of the law. You got to understand it. If you cling to Christ, you will live, <clears throat> you will live and you will die free from the curse of the law. Without faith, the law of Moses has no promises. Let me say that again. Without faith, the law of Moses has no promises with the exception of the promise of punishment for lawbreakers, which we all are. 
It's not a covenant of unconditional promises if you're, if you're depending on what you can do. Righteousness was never meant to be found in the law. We see that faithless adherence to the law does not in any way delight our Lord. Psalm 51.14 says this, Deliver me from my blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, this you will not despise. The purpose of the law is to reveal our need for Jesus. It's to show us that there has to be someone else who can fulfill it. The law was never meant to be the means that we obtain righteousness. The law was only meant to be a grace to show us by, by what measure we're going to be judged by. And we've already said that, that measure is perfection. The, the law is a curse. The law points to Jesus and the need for a new covenant, uh, one that would be totally fulfilled and, and pay the debts that we owe. So we've worked through the Edemic law or the Edemic covenant, the, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, excuse me, the Mosaic covenant, and we're about to see the Davidic covenant. So also, if you're, if you're trying to learn the story of the Bible, Adam, Noah, um, Abraham, Moses, David. Like, you can tell the story of the Bible with five fingers, but you, you need one more because the, the, the last one shows you the new covenant that's coming. So, the Davidic covenant is found in 2 Samuel um, 7.16. And it says this, In your house, in your kingdom, so David was a king, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God makes an everlasting covenant here with David that he would have a Messiah put on his throne that would reign forever. Not a king that would fail or grow old like David, but a king that was divine. The covenant with David and Adam were not, or with Abraham were not contingent on their ability to do good. Because we make these guys out to be these morally superior guys. But let's look at what these cats did real quick. So David, we, 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 we had a sermon on this back in the fall. David and this lady named Bathsheba, he, he takes her, he, he, he uh, lays with her, he, she gets pregnant, he kills one of his best friends and covers up the assassination. Good guy? Not a good guy. The covenant's not contingent on his ability to, to do good. Abraham, like, Abraham is the dude in the Bible, okay, as far as the Jews are concerned. He, we have three rock stars. Abraham, Moses, Moses was a murderer, by the way. Moses and, um, and David, those are the three guys. Abraham, he takes, he, 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 breaks, he breaks trust with God. God told him, I'm going to give you a, a child through this woman. He breaks trust and he takes her slave and lays with her, and impregnates her. Good guy? No. The covenant is not contingent on our ability, but on God's ability to uphold it. You got to understand this, or you're going to be one of these for your entire life that comes to faith, and you're going to be like, 
but I failed. God doesn't love me anymore. No, you're telling yourself a different narrative than the story that God's telling you in the Bible. Look at the covenants. So the, the, the Edemic covenant was not based on our ability to do good. It only came about because we did bad, right? The, the Abrahamic covenant was not based on our ability to do good because at that point, we didn't even know that he was a God follower. The Noahic covenant was not based on man's ability to, to do good. It was just that God said, I'm not gonna destroy the world in this way again. The, 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 the covenant with Moses, the covenant of law, is just saying, I know you're gonna screw up. I know you're gonna fail, but there's gonna be one coming greater than Moses that can fulfill the law. And the Davidic covenant says, I'm gonna give you a king that's not gonna die like this king, who's not gonna fail like this king. Can you, can you see God telling a story in such a way that it's all pointing to Jesus? If you struggle with it, you're gonna love the book of Hebrews because that's what the book of Hebrews is for. So don't feel like I'm just pulling stuff out of the clouds. I read the book of Hebrews. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's look finally at what's offered in the good covenant, in the new covenant. It's, it's greater than all the previous covenants. The new covenant, though, does not nullify any of the old covenants. Rather, it brings all of them into fruition. The new covenant is what Jesus is coming to do by dying and living a perfect life and dying on our behalf. That's what the new, that's what the new covenant is telling us about the Holy Spirit that's going to dwell in us. So the, new, the, the Old Testament lays out the new covenant in a couple places, but my two favorite places are Ezekiel 36 through 37, if you're a note taker. And the most popular place is Jeremiah 31, 31. So those are two of the places. There are other places. But here we see that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham. Jesus is the one who will crush the head of the serpent and reverse the curse of the garden. He's the one who all the nations, is going, he's going to bless all the nations. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The, the work that we could not accomplish in the law, Jesus did accomplish. Jesus took the curse of the law for us. We couldn't keep the law, so he gave us his righteousness. We get to have Jesus' righteousness. Our hearts were corrupted in such a way that we couldn't love them. Ezekiel 36 tells us that he's going to give us a new heart. That divinity is going to come dwell inside of us. That's the new covenant. Jesus is the son of David who is going to be seated on the eternal throne. Unlike David, he will never be corrupted. He's going to be a good and just king that will love his people forever and ever. Amen. And to top it all off, the fallen nature that we have that would never allow us to follow him, the king himself paid the debt. So divinity now rests inside of us. The Spirit of God now lives inside of us. And Ezekiel 37 tells us the story of what it's going to look like. And all of this is earned by this seed of promise that runs all the way through the, from Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, to finally be made known in the person of Christ, and we see him live it out, and we see him accomplish it. And then the Revelation tells us how the new covenant's ultimately going to be fulfilled with every saint standing before God forever. I know we bit off a lot, but we can handle it. 
It's, it's the story of the Bible. And sometimes when we see it so choppy, it's hard to see it as a whole. So the, the covenant is what Christ has, the covenants is what Christ has given us starting with Moses throughout the prophets and the Old Testament. And it's all pointing to him. We, like when I read the, 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 the passages the first time about Jesus on the road to Emmaus, it's like, what is he even talking about? But it's clear when you look at the covenants, right? So I want you to see our last point in verse 18. The inheritance is received by being an heir to the offspring. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Can you earn an inheritance? That's, that's the point he's making. Can you earn an inheritance? And an inheritance is only given based on your relationship to somebody else. I don't get your daddy's inheritance because your daddy's not my daddy. All the, all the land that you're going to inherit, I'm not inheriting it. Why? Because I have no relationship to that person. I don't, I don't have claim to their bank account because I have no relationship. How do we have a relationship with the father? Through the claim of faith. Through the, fame of, through the claim of faith, by faith alone, we are made sons and daughters of Abraham. And I can't wait to, Genesis, or to Galatians chapter 4 where we get to talk about adoption and what that means. But we have claim through our relationship to Jesus. You can't earn an inheritance. That would be called a wage, wouldn't it? That's, that's just payment. You can't earn an inheritance. That would be getting what's due to you. And this is how Romans 4, 3 through 4 describes it. I told you, Paul's given a lot of effort in the New Testament to explain this. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. I don't know a lot of things. I would not call myself particularly like intelligent, but I know one thing. I don't want my wage from God, right? We don't want our wage. And if you're like, oh, I think I want my wage. Well, let's look at Romans 6.23 that talks about your wage. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but that death is not just that we would die. It's an eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. For the wages of sin is death. That's what's due to us. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We only get to participate in the inheritance. How? By faith. You know, in church, most of the time, the right Sunday school answer is Jesus. In this book, the right Sunday school answer every time is by faith. How? By faith. We, we, we only get there by faith. The law has but one purpose, and it's not to earn your way to Christ, but to point you to the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, the seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. The law is just a mirror. We've talked about this, right? The, the law is a mirror, and when you walk and you stand in front of it, you should see yourself as you really are, utterly condemned. When you look at every law, you will see a way that you've broken it if you look deeply at it. And beyond it all, we are born into sin. But Jesus. Christ is the culmination of the scriptures. All things led up to the cross, 
and the resurrection and the story of the Bible, again, I want you to tell you that the, high, the, the climax of the Bible is not the cross. I grew up believing the climax was the cross. The climax of the Bible is not the cross. The climax is that we would be standing before Jesus enthroned on that seat of David in the heavenly places with every tribe, tongue, and nation singing to his glorious praise. Amen? And God has put us here in this place that we would participate in doing that. That we would be a people that say, God, whatever you call me to do, I will say yes. Because believe it or not, I, 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 think, I think maybe we get stuck in this thing like, oh, we're, we're way out down where the men, we're way out in the woods. There's not that many of us. That's false. We are in the heart of, for all my Texans in here, the greatest state in the country, right? <laughs> One of the wealthiest states in the country, in the wealthiest country in the world, and we are 99, in the top 99% of all wealth in the world, these people sitting in this room, and we have the capacity to live on mission and to reach the world with this new covenant. We have that. If we will be laser focused and won't be caught up with all these other things, we'll have the real ability to make disciples in our neighborhoods, and in the nations. God has used less people with less things than us to reach the world. I'm talking about across the oceans with the gospel. What can he do with us if we would dream big enough and we would say yes? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would give your heart to him today. But for those of us who are in faith, I want you to think about this. Revelation 13, 8, I love this passage. It tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Before creation was ever, was a thing, he saw the path that he would take and he said, I will. Jesus's love for you, when you think about it, should make you blush. It's an eternal love. It's an ancient love. He's created a tapestry of events that he, would, that he would stand in Jerusalem and he would preach and that he would be crucified. And he's created a tapestry of events through the power of the Holy Spirit of one person to one person to one person to one person for the last 2,000 years that took the gospel to you. And that God has a plan for you to do the same. When we think about how, how much he loves us, it's not, it's not a new love, it's an old love, and it's a love that burns white hot. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest right now, and let's ask him, let's ask him what he would be calling us to do, that we would get to participate in this ancient mission of God.